Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 93rd episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. Today, we're bringing you a red-hot topic that's been on the radar for building and energy efficiency experts for a number of years, but is finally coming to a head right now as we speak at the General Assembly, and has the potential to alter the path of building decarbonization long into the future. And that, my friends, is updated energy conservation codes, which are currently under consideration by the Building Code Council. You'll hear from our guests on today's episode that our state energy codes are woefully outdated and are in need of some long overdue updates to bring us in line with many other parts of the country while improving new home affordability and helping to reduce carbon emissions from the built environment. I'm not gonna go into the details here though, as our guests have every bit of this topic covered. But before we do that, I have one short update to share. It's official. Making Energy Work 2023 is on the calendar for November 2nd and 3rd in Raleigh. And just like last year, it'll be an opportunity to gather with many of your energy colleagues from across the Southeast to catch up on the latest clean energy policy and regulatory happenings. Registration is now open and sponsorship opportunities are going quick. So if you're interested in learning more about this year's conference, visit makingenergywork.com. With that, let's jump into today's episode to cover the ins and outs of building codes in the state. Clean energy. Clean energy. Our first guest is the president of Howard Building Science, Inc., based in Granite Falls, North Carolina. As a licensed general contractor, Howard Building Science provides sustainable development and net-zero energy home construction in the high country and foothills of western North Carolina. Our guest has over 20 years of experience in the construction industry, and he is the former director of construction at Habitat for Humanity of Catawba Valley, where he built Energy Star Homes through Advanced Energy System Vision Program. He built the first net-zero energy home in North Carolina in partnership with the Appalachian Energy Center in 2005. He also built the first DOE Zero Energy Ready Homes in North Carolina in 2015. Our guest is also currently a lecturer in building science and sustainable technology at his alma mater, Appalachian State University. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Rob Howard to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Rob, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me. Our next guest has over two decades of government, campaign, and nonprofit experience in Raleigh and Washington, D.C., Our guest has worked for elected officials at the highest leadership levels in the U.S. Congress and North Carolina General Assembly, and now serves as the principal of Robinson Consulting Group. She is a successful strategist with a long record of advocating for and negotiating positive outcomes on complex issues. Paired with her extensive campaign and media relations experience, our guest brings a strong expertise in building diverse coalitions and formulating issues in a way that cross political party boundaries to get results. In 2013, our guest launched Robinson Consulting Group, where she has served as a contract lobbyist and government affairs consultant for her clients, including the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association and other clean energy organizations and businesses. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Julie Robinson to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Julie, 
Welcome to the pod. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be back. All right. So I, I want to get started with just some some high level primers for for the audience here about what energy conservation codes are in the state and what it means for new construction moving forward. But before we do that, Rob, I want to ask you to maybe share a little bit more of your background in this space as a home builder and, and some of the work that you've been doing over the past you know decade or so in this space. Sure. Yeah. So I, I really got my start in construction with Habitat for Humanity. I was uh, a volunteer in Charlotte back in the late 90s, uh, right out of college. And then uh, my first full-time job with Habitat was at uh, Habitat for Humanity of Catawba Valley in Hickory, North Carolina. So I served as the construction manager, later director of construction at that affiliate for 10 years, and also worked for Habitat International as a sustainable building specialist for five years. And, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, the NCSEA team was out at a Habitat site just a few weeks ago, and I was incredibly impressed with the, the level of uh, energy efficiency measures that were being incorporated into these new homes. It was it was incredible to see uh, how Habitat is is really focused on making sure these homes uh, are affordable for the, the residents that will be moving in there long term. And, and we'll start to talk about that a little bit as it relates to updated energy codes here in North Carolina. So uh, at a high level, Rob, can you share with listeners, you know, what energy conservation codes are and how they're a part of the overall building codes for residential dwellings in, in North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously this is coming from a, a builder's perspective, um, not somebody who works in, uh, you know, for the Department of Insurance or anything like that. But uh, I'll tell you, you know, from the field perspective on on energy codes. So, of course, each each state, you know, adopts different uh, versions of the International Energy Conservation Code into their building code. And currently what we, you know, our, our current North Carolina code is called the 2018 but you know it's really based on the 2015 International Energy Conservation Code with amendments. So basically, what that means is you know we try to customize it for our state and the three climate zones that are represented in North Carolina. And unfortunately, we we tend to sort of water it down a little bit. So you know DOE would say our our current energy code is really more like the 2009 IECC. So we are pretty far behind when it comes to energy conservation in our state, unfortunately. And these are the the standards that that basically mandate for builders, you know, the level of of sort of energy efficiency standards that new homes are are built to. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So there's really there's two paths to meet the energy code in in North Carolina. You've got the prescriptive path, you know, which is what what most states would have, you know. So if you're building a new home, in in my case, in climate zone four you're going to have to have a certain R value, a certain amount of insulation, you know, in your attic or in your roof. You're going to have to have a certain amount of your walls and in your floor or foundation. You know, you have a, a certain U value on your windows and so forth. So that would be the prescriptive path. The, the other option that we have is what's, you know, often referred to as the performance option. So you can also work with a, an energy rater to do a basically a, a home energy rating in the energy code, they call it the energy rating index. And so you basically, in, in consultation with a, a professional, get to choose your own path to meet the energy code. And I think uh, it's something that, you know, so far builders in this state have not really taken full advantage of. But I think, you know, we, we really need to be talking more about that performance option. And, and 
you know, there are some builders that do go kind of above and beyond the call and are building some really efficient homes uh, and are building, you know, homes that are focused on net zero. Uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And, and it's something, too, I want to elevate some of the great work by some of those communities throughout North Carolina. And I know you're working on a few as well yourself. But, but back to the, the energy conservation codes, who creates and implements these codes in North Carolina? And what does the, the process look like for how these codes are, are updated? Yeah, I mean, the entire process is managed by the Department of Insurance, but, you know, the governor appoints a building code council and, you know, they're making all of the codes, you know, not just the energy code, you know, for our state, uh, both on the residential and commercial side. But they have committees underneath that building code council of experts, you know, from the industry who they're trying to achieve consensus on on what that code should look like, you know, for for our state uh, and make it, you know, again, climate specific to North Carolina. And is it's is it my correct understanding that, you know, North Carolina previously would go through updates every three years and then there was a, a previous piece of legislation that changed that update cycle to once every six years. Is that correct? On the residential side, that's right. Yeah, it's I, my understanding. It's still every three years for commercial code, but uh, certainly on the residential side, uh, it is now a six-year code cycle, which means, you know, if if we only get a new code every six years, then that puts us even further behind uh, because we get a, there is a new International Energy Conservation Code every three years. So that that makes it feel like, you know, we have so much more catching up to do, and thus, you know, the the changes that are proposed um, that we're looking at currently seem like big jumps. Whereas if we had made incremental progress, you know, the way we used to when it was a three-year adoption cycle, I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't seem like such a a huge leap to get there. And, and we'll talk in in just a minute with Julie uh, about how that, that six-year sort of update cycle intersects with current legislation in front of the general assembly. But before we get there, you had mentioned IECC. And so I am curious how North Carolina's current codes, and you mentioned essentially operating on 2009 standards, uh, how our code level compares to other states throughout the country. Are we a leader in code adoption? No, we're, we're far from it, unfortunately. Yeah, again, we've, we've fallen not only behind, you know, the states that we normally think of as, you know, sort of leading the way on energy conservation, but, you know, I used to at least think that we were the leader in the Southeast, you know, and we can't even say that anymore. So, yeah, I mean, certainly we've we've got we've got work to do, uh, you know, to think of ourselves in in that way again. So, so speaking of that, you know, there are, there are currently efforts underway right now uh, to update North Carolina's uh, energy codes to an amended version of the 2021 standards. So, what's currently going on right now at the Building Code Council? And where do we stand in that process? Yeah, it's uh, it's not pretty. Uh, I'll tell you that. Uh, I've, I've been to several uh, code council meetings and public hearings, committee meetings as of late, and yeah, let's just say we're we're at a bit of an impasse. Uh, it seems so. There's there's just there's not a whole lot of support to, you know, to use that, that proposed 2021 IECC as the new base code for North Carolina right now. So there's, there's been some attempts to reach some, you know, compromises, but it just seems like, you know, the two sides are, are not communicating very well right now. So, which I guess, you know, 
is why, you know, this bill has now been introduced with the legislature. Uh, so in, in some ways, you know, I was literally just in Raleigh, you know, earlier this week for another code council meeting. And, you know, some of the uh, remarks from the uh, folks on the council about they don't know if this is their last meeting or not, you know, so um, it's hard to even know if the work that, you know, has been going on for, for so many years and the work that they're currently doing is is going to be meaningless if this uh, legislation passes. And and my understanding is with, with the meeting that occurred this week, the, the council decided to hold on any sort of decision as it relates to energy codes until later this fall. Is, is that correct? Yes, exactly. Uh, it was tabled for un, until at least the September meeting, and it, it may not actually get voted on until December because they're waiting on what they call a fiscal note. Uh, you know, some, you know, financial implications of, of these, you know, proposed changes. Just to, to follow up or carry on uh, what Rob was saying, you know, the legislature did pass, uh, change the, the code cycle uh, to six years back in 2013. So, and, and the goal with that bill, you know, described by the bill sponsors was to provide more longer term certainty to builders, to the industry, you know, setting those rules and maintaining those rules, rules of the game, whatever analogy you want to use. But when, you know, we get into a situation of, you know, getting close to the the end of that six-year code cycle, as they were expected, the Building Code Council started, you know, a lengthy process that started almost two years ago. Like Rob said, you know, bringing in a lot of builders, contractors, Stakeholders, you know, NCSEA staff has participated in a lot of these meetings um, at the, you know, smaller subset ad hoc committee level, and then going to, you know, the public comment meetings before the full building code council. This is an extensive process that, you know, these experienced members that, you know, give of their time that serve on the North Carolina Building Code Council to collect all this, you know, input from, you know, different perspectives, literally over almost two years, you know, it's, it's an extensive process. And, you know, a lot of people have showed up and participated, you know, Rob included and many, many others, and um, trying to, like Rob said, you know, reach consensus, reach compromises. You know, and it's it's disappointing, disheartening when, you know, you can't get everyone in a room, <laughs> however big that room needs to be, to kind of put all of your cards on the table. And, um, you know, you start with the international code that, you know, most other states start with, and you start talking about, you know, amendments um, specific to North Carolina, seek compromise, talk it out, and you know, hopefully we've still got more time between now and, and the September Building Code Council meeting to have more of those productive conversations. But, you know, like you said, there's also um, House Bill 488 that um, is moving over at the North Carolina General Assembly that's also seeking to, to make major changes to the actual Building Code Council itself and splitting it up into separate residential and commercial co-council members from different backgrounds. And then, you know, I think the, the 
one piece of House Bill 488 that has really, you know, drawn a lot of attention and concerns by a lot in the industry and, you know, more broadly is the potential, um, like Rob said, you know, holding our current building codes, you know, the energy codes, electrical, mechanical, fire codes, kind of across the spectrum um, at woefully outdated levels compared to other states, even compared to other states in the Southeast. And with the energy code, um, which truly is tied to how affordable a home will be for homeowners now, five years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, keeping our energy conservation code, uh, part of our you know, building codes stuck way back at 2009 levels. You know, I, I think a lot of homeowners and potential new homeowners um, would also have a lot of, you know, concerns about that because, you know, unfortunately, you know, I've heard the, the analogy made by a lot of builders and, you know, some homeowners, you know, when you go to buy a car, there's an easy sticker on the window <laughs> to read. So you can really evaluate what your cost whether it's, you know, how much gas you're going to need to buy or, you know, with EVs um, becoming more prevalent, you know, how much, you know, how long your charge is, how many miles you can drive on a charge with any given car. Houses don't come with an easy sticker on the window to read. Um, so, uh, you know, th there's, there's a lot of concerning pieces to this legislation. And like I said, you know, I, a, a big piece of the a big piece of the work that I do on a regular basis is trying to you know bring together coalitions of people to just talk out the issues, even the tough issues, and and try to reach a compromise either either in this case um, before the building code council or at the legislature. And with that piece of legislation, House Bill four eighty eight, you know another component of that is it would potentially delay uh, the implementation of new codes until almost 2031. And by that point, we would be operating on energy codes that are more than 20 years old in North Carolina. And, you know, I've heard uh, Dr. Joyner provide a, a really good analogy of you wouldn't go and buy a, a cell phone that's 20 years old. Why would you be okay with purchasing a new home that's built to 20 year old standards? So, it is a real concern when you think about House Bill 488. So a, a quick follow-up question on that, Julie. Where does that bill currently stand? And what's most likely to happen with that moving forward? Great question. It has passed the North Carolina House back uh, in early May. The Senate uh, just recently had its first committee meeting, and we're expecting uh, it to move to the next stop in the Senate Finance Committee very soon. Then likely uh, it would go to the Rules Committee before a full vote of the Senate. It could happen within, you know, a matter of days, or it might stretch out for another couple of weeks. Legislators, both the House and Senate, are still trying to um, adjourn before or right around the July 4th holiday, but unfortunately, North Carolina does not have session limits. So, um, you know, we don't have a, a hard deadline of when the, the legislature or the legislators will leave Raleigh. But, you know, House Bill 488 is, is definitely a bill that 
NCSEA's lobbyist and I are keeping a very close eye on and having a lot of conversations with not only industry and, and hearing their concerns, but also sharing those concerns and information with, with legislators. So taking a, a, a step back here, uh, you know, we're talking about updated energy codes in the state. So it, it might be helpful for listeners to understand what potential benefits uh, the state could see and homeowners themselves with updated codes. Rob, I'll start with you on this question. Yeah, I mean, I guess the obvious one is lower energy costs, you know, thus, you know, it makes it more affordable to live in that home, you know, for the long term. And, you know, we tend to talk a lot about the the financial implications of this, you know, so we're quick to say or compare how much it, you know, we think it's the additional cost is going to be to meet these new codes. And then, you know, what do we think the monthly savings in energy bills, you know, might be? And then we we do some quick math and say, okay, well, what would the simple payback be? You know, how many years is it going to take to pay for those upgrades in, in energy savings? And, you know, you're hearing some pretty crazy numbers thrown out there about how how much more expensive, you know, it would be to meet the no code and how many years it would take, you know, for those things to pay back. But I think it, we don't want to uh, stop there, you know, when we think about benefits. I mean, if you're building a, a more energy efficient home, you're also building a more durable home. You're building a home that is more comfortable to live in. Of course, it, uh, it's easier to heat and cool, which obviously means that you're going to have, you know, lower uh, utility bills as a result. But you know, I, I like to say you're not always going over to the thermostat and bumping it up or bumping it down because the envelope, you know, the building envelope, the thermal envelope of that home is so much better. It just maintains temperature more easily. And, you know, beyond that, you also have uh, health implications. So, you know, you would you would definitely have a, a healthier place to live with better indoor air quality, you know, and it it, it starts to get a lot harder to put a a value, you know, a monetary value on things like your health. But yeah, I, I don't think, you know, as, as much as we have to recognize um, it, it does cost more, you know, to meet a more progressive code, there's a, there's a lot of benefits beyond just the energy savings that, that homeowners would realize. And, and Julie, I'm going to, I'm going to test you here, put you on the spot to see if you have the, the numbers uh, top of, top of mind here from the study from Pacific Northwest National Lab showing what the cost would be uh, an additional sort of upfront uh, upgrades to the home and then what the savings would potentially look like for for homeowners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I all the time absolutely rely on the numbers and the facts. And I think, you know, like Rob said, there, there are a lot of numbers being shared and discussed and thrown around. And, you know, I, I always, you know, fact check <laughs> what is shared from different sources. So, you know, I, I think that I'll start with that point. Like you said, the, the Northwest Pacific National Lab, which is under the U.S. Department of Energy, started out with an analysis of, um, like Rob mentioned earlier, International Energy Conservation Code. That's kind of the, the starting point for, for almost all states. So they did a cost analysis of that. And then uh, when the North Carolina Building Code Council and the different committees and stakeholders last year into earlier this year started discussing various amendments, changes for North Carolina specific 
Energy Conservation Code, that, that cost analysis found that it would be a range of four to, to $6,000 in added cost um, to meet those North Carolina specific proposals for the Energy Conservation Code, but then found, you know, a very short payback for those homeowners, you know, within the first couple of years of them living in that home. And like Rob said, you know, it's, it's a, a fairly quick payback in terms of pure numbers when you talk about how much it costs to, to meet these new codes. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, homes that are going to be around in communities across North Carolina for, you know, 60, 80, 100 plus years. And I think a, a final important point to, to keep in mind, you know, North Carolina is one of the fastest growing states. And, you know, there, there are a lot of builders that not only um, are building new homes above code, but, you know, it's really important to, you know, make sure our, you know, all of our building codes, that floor is comparable to other states. And right now, you know, our energy conservation code and some of our other pieces of the, the residential code, you know, being back to 2009 levels, that's woefully outdated. And now we're talking about, you know, House Bill 488, potentially putting uh, those code updates on hold until 2031. That's really concerning and will, will impact a lot of North Carolinians and homeowners out there and, and the affordability and livability, like Rob said, for many years to come. So with all the, the potential benefits that you both have laid out from updated energy codes in the state, why are we seeing so much opposition to this? And Rob, I'll be particularly interested in your perspective as a home builder. It's a good question. It, it's a little hard to answer. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be speculating here a little bit. I'll say that uh, first and foremost, but I mean, you know, this is not the first time we've attempted to adopt a new building code or energy code in the state. You know, Julie's been at this a lot longer than I have, but, you know, I remember uh, working with her, you know, what, 10, 12 years ago now, uh, the last time we had one of these battles. And it just seems like there's there's always this resistance to to any kind of change. And, you know, usually the the leading argument is about cost. You know, this is just too expensive. You know, we can't afford this, uh, these additional costs in this state. And, you know, the the argument that tends to be made is one, you know, about trying to protect affordable housing in our state. And that's always, you know, struck struck me a little funny because, you know, I spent 15 years working for Habitat for Humanity and anybody knows how to build an affordable home. I, I like to think I do. And that entire time, I, I always say I never built a house to code, you know, and that sounds funny coming out of a builder's mouth, but we were always building above code, you know, and it's not because anybody was making us do it. It's because we felt like that was the right thing to do for our, our home buyer families. And, you know, now that I'm on my own as a builder, you know, building market rate homes, you know, and, and trying to make a living doing that, I'm still trying to, you know, deliver a high performance above code product at a reasonable cost. So I don't think any for-profit builder uh, is trying to give it away, but at the end of the day, it, it is going to cost a little bit more to build to, you know, uh, the proposed code. Ironically, I'm 
I'm building the homes in uh, in my current development to the Department of Energy's Zero Energy Ready Home Standard that is based on the 2021 ICC, the same base code that we're you know considering for North Carolina. And granted, it will be amended for our state; it won't be uh, adopted as written. But the 45L tax credit was just renewed recently as part of the IRA bill, and I was I was already building to the Zero Energy Ready Home Standard, but just learned that, you know, there's going to be a $5,000 tax credit available for doing so uh, through that 45L. So if you're building to Energy Star, there's $2,500 tax credit available. If you're building to Zero Energy Ready Home Standard, it's $5,000. So my point is there there's an incentive on the table right now for builders to um, build to a higher standard. And that happens to be the same standard we're considering as the new base code for our state. So uh, you know the numbers that that Julie just mentioned. I'm I'm seeing about the same cost increase to meet that standard on my current project. So uh, somewhere in that five thousand dollar range, you know, kind of right in the middle of that range she mentioned. So basically, the tax credit is is going to take care of that 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 premium to get there. So, but again, the numbers that uh, you know the opposition is throwing out are upwards of you know uh, close to twenty thousand dollars, and I, I just don't. I don't think that's realistic for, you know, for most builders. And, you know, factor that the the tax incentive that you were just talking about on top of the other incentives and rebates that are out there for energy efficient appliances, there are utility programs out there uh, providing incentives to create, uh, make ready infrastructure for EV charging in, in the home. So there are a lot of different sort of incentives and rebates that are available to home builders as they continue to build more efficient homes to offset any of those additional costs that they might see. Well, in addition, it's my understanding that North Carolina could potentially lose out on federal funding should we not update our energy codes. Uh, Julie, is is that the case? And, and what's the deal with this? Uh, great question. And and that's definitely another concern that um, a lot of people are are raising, um, including North Carolina's Department of Insurance. You know, I, I think Rob mentioned um, earlier that, you know, states are compared to one another on, you know, based on their residential and commercial codes. And that kind of scoring system is used to determine how much FEMA Funds uh, North Carolina can can receive cities and counties that you know experience hurricanes on the coast, ice storms um, out Rob's way in the mountains. You know, flooding. We're having a lot more severe weather across across the state, not just focused uh, down east on the beach that have experienced you know devastating hurricanes over the years. So you know, our the level of our building codes directly can can correspond to, you know, where North Carolina stacks up to to other states and how much federal funding we can get and pull down when when communities truly need it to to respond to to those, you know, um, severe storms and and hurricanes, but also some of the the grant funding that's available now to be more proactive and, and make our communities um, and homes more resilient on the front end, which means that, you know, after a storm or flooding or um, comes through, hopefully there will be less damage um, on the back end. So Julie, can you speak to the intersection between updated energy codes and housing affordability, especially in light of the fact that 
you know, housing prices have gone through the roof over the past three or four years in light of supply chain issues and uh, a lot of regional uh, migration into the state. So what intersection do, do building codes have with housing affordability? That That's such an important um, point to make. You know, affordability has has been one of the more important focuses of, you know, some of these conversations um, and debates that have been um, taking place both, both at the legislature and the Building Code Council over the last few months. And I think, you know, especially with the rapid growth of North Carolina, that brings opportunities and challenges. So you've got a lot of people moving to the state, which means you know, builders need to be building more houses to meet the the demand of those new people moving into the state, you know, but with supply chain issues continuing, luckily it's improved over the last year or so coming out of COVID. But, you know, I, Rob mentioned that we both kind of went through similar conversations way back in 2010, 2011, as the 2012 building codes were being developed. And one of the one of the things that continues to stick in my mind today were some of the people, homeowners, former homeowners, some of the industry folks, especially some of the HVAC contractors that spoke at some of those 2010 public hearings. And I hadn't, you know, kind of put some of their stories together like they were able to, but there was a direct correlation, you know, that a lot of those individuals made to the building code council way back then was that, you know, a lot of the homeowners that unfortunately went through foreclosure was due to not knowing what their power bills were going to be. So, so many, you know, homeowners, like a lot of us do, you know, you find a home and it's, you know, a little above the, the budget that you wanted to spend and you stretch to get into your dream home. And then they got in and realized that, you know, it was built barely to code. They were expecting, you know, a power bill each month of maybe $100 and it ended up being $300 or $400. So, you know, that that was you mentioned an intersection or a correlation, you know, it's the, the unknown sometimes that can really have a devastating impact on affordability of a home. And it goes back to what I said, you know, before homeowners really have to, you know, become so much more engaged and knowledgeable about the homes and even the, the technical details of what our building codes are to, to figure out, you know, what those costs going to be with that home. And when it comes to energy and power bills, especially now, um, you know, Duke Energy's uh, asking for two different rate hikes before the Utilities Commission right now. So that that's just, you know, a lot of different factors coming together at once that just emphasizes again, building codes may be a, a very technical, sometimes boring topic to, to think about or to discuss, but it impacts all of us, and, you know, in the, the homes or apartments or, you know, buildings we might be working in. That reminds me of, you know, all those homeowners that I've built uh, houses for when I worked for Habitat for Humanity. And, you know, uh, a lot of them were coming from situations where they had extremely high energy bills. And that was one of the reasons that, you know, they were in, uh, in such financial hardship. So, yeah, it, it certainly makes a huge difference in someone's life when, you know, they move into a brand new house that has really low energy bills um, in comparison. So, 
you know, nobody should ever have to make a choice between buying food or, you know, going to the doctor and, and paying their utility bills. So, yeah, it has a huge impact on um, the affordability equation for a lot of people in our state. Yeah. And I, I think back to a lot of the work that NCSEA had done with uh, some some cooperatives throughout the state in helping to implement energy efficiency programs. And some of the homes that we were working with were, you know, mobile homes that had monthly utility bills in excess of $600 a month. And it just showed how inefficient those homes were. And it created this cycle of insecurity and poverty. And and so you, I think updated codes help to maintain homeownership and keep people in homes and allow people to continue to build generational wealth, which is really, really important. And so I'm glad, you know, Rob and, and Julie both have mentioned those points. So to kind of wrap up the conversation here today, based on what's going on at the Building Code Council and the legislature, where do we currently stand and and what's to come next in this process? And Rob, I can start with you here. Yeah, as I said before, I feel like we're at a bit of an impasse where there's just not a lot of good communication going on right now about, you know, potential uh, places where compromise uh, could happen and consensus could be reached. And, you know, that brings us to the the House bill, you know, that is now, you know, in the Senate. So it's moving fairly quickly. And yeah, it's, it's hard to it's hard to be very hopeful right now about where we're going and, because we may not go anywhere in, in our state in, in terms of progress on energy codes uh, until 2031. And that's that's pretty depressing to think about. Well, I will try to uh, be more positive. <laughs> as I always try. (laughs) I really am hopeful that, you know, legislators, you know, focusing on the General Assembly right now, I'm I'm really hoping that, you know, more builders, more homeowners, more potential homeowners will really reach out to their legislators. You know, yes, you know, building codes are a technical topic, but like I said a second ago, you know, it really does impact all of us. And it's really important for the, whether it's at the building code council process or, you know, the legislature, it's important that North Carolina updates its building codes. We can't uh, remain stuck in the past with 2009 code levels. You know, now it's already woefully outdated, much less um, having uh, the council stop its work or legislation passing that could like t- Rob said, um, you know, keep us stuck in the past and, you know, now through potentially 2031. So, you know, as I always do, you know, if this is an issue that that touches your business or touches your life as a homeowner, um, you really need to reach out to your, lo- to your legislators and express those concerns. Mm-hmm. And even to the builders that have higher cost estimates, you know, I encourage everybody just to sit down and and talk it out. You know, when we sit down around a table and talk things out, we can usually reach some kind of compromise and um, get something done. That's a great point, Julie. And yeah, I think there's a lot of ways for listeners who are interested in this topic to, to get plugged in, whether that's via reaching out directly to their legislators. I know NCSEA currently has an action alert out there helping to directly connect people to their legislators so they can hear from constituents about this issue. And in addition, uh, the Building Code Council at times has public comment periods in which people can uh, send in comments there. 
as well, expressing support for an updated set of energy codes. So uh, we'll include links to some of those resources in the show notes. But on that note, I wanted to thank both of you so much for for joining us today and, and providing an outline of what's currently going on with energy codes in North Carolina. This is really informative and really important work that that both of you all are doing in this space. So thank you both for your time here today on this episode of the podcast. Thank you both. And my key takeaway from today's episode is just the overall benefit that updated energy conservation codes would bring to homeowners in the state. According to a study from the Pacific Northwest National Lab, homeowners could save approximately $335 a year in utility costs if we were to update codes, which would lead to a net life cycle cost savings of $6,223. These savings are incredibly important, especially in light of the proposed rate hikes in front of the North Carolina Utilities Commission right now that could lead to an almost 30% increase in rates. So beyond the overall emissions benefits of improved energy efficiency in homes, this is really a conversation about ensuring homes remain affordable for North Carolinians across the board, especially in light of rising home costs and costs of living. That's why it's incredibly important for your legislators to hear from you about the importance of updated energy codes and with an ask to oppose House Bill 488. And on that note, you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 93 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See you all later.